1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. As I mentioned already, next Sunday I'll preach the Mother's Day message, which uh, will be a message about ladies, and I already have that prepared. And then my last morning message is a, a unique uh, message. It is, of course, my last Sunday as pastor, and the last Sunday message to do, that's on May the 21st, and I've prepared that, and it is, <clears throat> the title of it is Final Words, and I'm going to share with you <clears throat> some, um, it's more of a testimony message, and so, uh, and actually there are things in that message that I've never, uh, I, I don't know that I've never thought about them, but there are some things <clears throat> regarding my testimony that are unique, and I do hope you'll be here for that. And let me say this, I hope you'll be here uh, on that Sunday afternoon for the reception. Uh, I th- it begins at 2 o'clock, and, and the, uh, the, the, the Saturday afternoon. Did I say Sunday? Man, I've just got, I've, I've got to get out of here. Uh, <clears throat> Saturday afternoon, it begins at 2 o'clock. That's the, the 20th. And <clears throat> this is going to be my chance to say howdy to you, to shake your hand, and, and to uh, have a little fellowship with you. There will be a lot of people that will be coming through. There's folks from the community that I know are going to come by on the 20th, and, and uh, many will be here on the 21st as well. So <clears throat> I look forward uh, to having that opportunity to greet you. Um, I've had um, one lady told me this morning, <clears throat> she said, Pastor, could I see you just a minute? And I went back and she said, I'm going to have to write you a letter. And, uh, <clears throat> I, and I know what she meant, and I laughed, and I said, a letter will be fine. But um, uh, I thank you for all of your kindness and your graciousness. Today I, I want to give you something to think about and to pray about as you have opportunity to call your new pastor <clears throat> to North Florida Baptist Church. You should first of all understand the process of calling a pastor and <clears throat> you should know um, what, is, um, what will be done and, and the kind, you should also know the kind of pastor that you should expect. <clears throat> the process for our church, as defined by our Constitution and bylaws, not every church is the same, but by the Constitution and bylaws passed by this church, is that the, the deacons are the pulpit committee. They are the, <clears throat> they are the body that brings before the church a candidate uh, to be a pastor. Now, from the deacon uh, body, <clears throat> they appointed uh, and elected among themselves four deacons to serve as the search uh, committee. And then they also elected a chairman of the search committee, and the chairman of the search committee is Roger Wynn. Now, I presided over that meeting, but all of these decisions were without influence or suggestion by me, and I think that <clears throat> Roger is the perfect, the absolute perfect choice to uh, be <clears throat> the chairman of the search committee, and the reason is because of Roger's longevity in this ministry, and Roger is a widely known and trusted man. Uh, in this ministry, and he is faithful to the Lord here. Now, here's the way that works. The search committee looks for candidates or a candidate to bring before the deacons, and they bring those candidates before the deacons, not before the church. They bring those candidates before the deacons so that the deacons will have the opportunity to discuss with those candidates and, and talk with those candidates and make recommendations and, uh, and find out things that, that need to know. And then the pulpit committee, the board of deacons, makes the decision as to whether or not to present the candidate that they have interviewed and the candidate that they have 
uh, talk to, they make the decision to whether or not to bring them before the church. So the search committee is looking for the, the candidates, and the search committee is in the process right now of <clears throat> looking for candidates. Then when the search committee gets settled on somebody that they'd like to bring before the deacons, they bring them before the deacons. If the deacons say, no, this is not the person, then the search committee goes back, and that's the way that it operates. This is not, this is not one person making a decision. It is a group of people making a decision, and their decision is only to make a recommendation to you. And then when they come together and they have the belief and feeling that this is, and, and the confidence that this is the person that should be brought to the church, then that candidate is brought before the church. Now here's the way that's going to work. That candidate will be brought before the church, and that candidate will have the opportunity to preach for you. I don't know how many times, but that candidate will have the opportunity to preach for you. And uh, the I've not talked to them about this, but but here's probably what's going to happen, quite honestly, what should happen. That candidate should also have the opportunity to interact with you. Just as you're having a fellowship as I'm going away, there should be some kind of an interaction between this candidate that the deacons have brought to you, this candidate that is going to preach for you, and this candidate that you're going to vote on, you should have the opportunity to look them in the eye and speak to them and, and so forth. And then you're going to be asked to vote as a church. And when you're asked to vote as a church, it requires a 75% vote in favor of a candidate in order to call a pastor. Now, some churches have it higher than that. Some may have it lower than that. But a 75% call is a a good percentage of call for the church. Now, I said all of that. I'm sure that every member of the search committee every member of the pulpit committee, and each of you have an idea of what you want in your next pastor. I'm sure that you do. And those are all, those ideas and thoughts and expectations are very important. They're not unimportant at all. They are very important. And uh, hopefully, you as a church family, I hope the deacon body and, and you as a church family, come to a consensus um, and to be in harmony. Now, here's something you should know about harmony. I know a little bit about music. Harmony is not a solo. A soloist cannot sing harmony. Now, I've seen some YouTube videos where one person sang about uh, four different parts, and those are pretty cool. But a solo is not a harmony. Uh, There must be more than one uh, to make good music. In fact, harmony is done when different voices, in, in the singing sense, when different voices blend together to sing the same piece of music. That's harmony. We don't all sing at the same pitch, and quite honestly, not everybody sings on pitch. But uh, <clears throat> harmony is not a solo, but when several come together. Now, the real question is not what any individual wants. That's, it's, it's not what any individual wants. You say, well, I want to make sure that this kind of person, and, and I respect your opinion, I'm sure that others respect your opinion, but no one person has any uh, singular uh, thought or idea that must be fulfilled if the pastor is called. Uh, there's, there's no one person that is a, a litmus test. Here's what's really uh, important 
is in what God expects and what God requires for your next pastor. So to that end, today, I'm preaching the message that I'm calling, Calling Your Pastor. That's the title of the message, Calling Your Next Pastor. Now, here is a text that's a very famous text and one that tells you a lot about a pastor. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not uh, violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Now, this passage of Scripture shows you three things regarding the qualities of a pastor. It shows you the personal qualities, the family qualities, and the leadership qualities of a pastor. The word used here in our text is the word overseer. In the King James Version, it's the word bishop. It all means the same thing. It means the shepherd of the flock. It means the pastor. It means a leader. That is exactly what this passage and exactly who this passage is talking about. Dwight D. Eisenhower, the 34th president of the United States, once made this statement. In order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. No matter whether it is on a section gang, a football field, in an army, or in an office. If a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity and high purpose. Very good words by Eisenhower. Not the Word of God, but good words by Dwight Eisenhower, our 34th president. For a pastor, being a leader is of great importance. On my last Sunday, as I share a testimony with you, I will talk about different pastors who have been different kinds of people. And I have always been a leadership pastor. There's some pastors who are better at this area and some pastors who are more given to this area and some pastors who are more given to this area. And then some pastors who are more given to leadership. Now, pastors should be able to do a lot of things, but there's no way around it. There's going to be a certain bent in a pastor's life. Now, you may look and desire a pastor to be different or more gifted in some areas than I am gifted, but that still does not mean that the pastor must not be a leader. And the reason is because the pastor by definition, by this definition in the passage we've just read, the pastor is an overseer. In the development of leadership, there are many hills to climb, 
but there are also some pitfalls to avoid. I want to give you some cautions on calling your next pastor. This is not a negative uh, uh, sermon, but this is a sermon that points out clearly what God's Word in our text has pointed out today. First of all, there is the pit of rapid rise. Let me explain that to you. Our text says that an overseer should not be a recent convert. The King James Version says it like this, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now this speaks of the maturity of the one who is leading. This is saying that your next pastor should have a measure of maturity. Now, as one who began my pastoral ministry at age 25, and I was 25 when I pastored that first little church, I can tell you that maturity is vital in leadership. I had more leadership maturity than most at age 25, but I will tell you this, I never at that age had the leadership ability to uh, lead a, a ministry like this one. a multifaceted ministry like this one. I remember when Pastor Blair, and this was a different process when I came to this church over 25 years ago, Pastor Blair was the founding pastor of this church. He felt a need and an obligation to find the next pastor. He felt that need and obligation. I felt the same need and obligation when I left the church in Nashville that I pastored. I don't feel that need, nor do I feel that obligation in this church. But Pastor Blair did, and I understood that as the founding pastor of a church myself. But here's what Pastor Blair said, and I know what he said because I, I've, I heard him say it, and I've, I've, you, some of you have confirmed it. He said, before you ask a, a pastor uh, or a pilot to fly a 747, at least he should have flown a 707. Any any of you remember him saying something like that? At least he should have flown a 707. And so I'm telling you basically the same thing, that there has to be a level of maturity that comes with the the, um, responsibility that's going to come to a pastor. Rapid rise can be a pitfall. And let me say this to all of us. Rapid rise can be a pitfall in any or all areas of life. Uh, We've seen athletes uh, who could not stand uh, uh, the, uh, the rapid rise. Johnny Manziel. Most of you know the name Johnny Manziel. He just couldn't stand it. He just couldn't stand it. And, and that rapid rise got to him. <clears throat> athletes. <clears throat> there have been actors who are <clears throat> like this. Politicians who are like this. And pastors. All have fallen victim. Some uh, have fallen victim, I should say, in all areas of life to the pit of rapid rise. Now, how do you <clears throat> avoid rapid rise? How do you avoid the pit of rapid rise? Well, let me give you a, a few things in regard to this. I'm going to talk about the pit of rapid rise, and then I'm going to talk about dangers that are in the pit of rapid rise. Here's a way to avoid <clears throat> the pit of rapid rise. Slow down some. I'm not talking about you looking for a pastor. I'm talking about anyone who is rising to leadership of any kind. They have to slow down some. Later in his letter to Timothy, Paul gave some good advice. He said, do not be hasty 
in the laying on of hands. That's 1 Timothy 5.22. Now this speaks of the ordination of a pastor and how there is danger in accepting responsibility, more responsibility than one can handle. A pastor needs a period of solid growth before leading a congregation. A pastor must have a period of solid growth. I assure you that it is difficult to have the wisdom that is required to lead. Also, there are some, some who are not so young, in fact, some who are older. Excuse me, turn me off just a second. By the way, one of the things we're going to do on my last Sunday here, and I hope it'll be all right with you, is we're going to the cemetery and we're going to bury this frog. We're going to bury him alive. You'll hear him croaking in the grave, but uh, anyway. There are pastors who are old enough to be mature who are not mature enough to be a pastor. There are pastors who are too young to have reached the level of maturity that they may need. There are some younger pastors who are plenty mature. I will say this to you. Overnight successes are often overnight failures. What should a pastor do, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. What should a pastor do to be successful? Well, a pastor must study for success. Again, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who is not, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Again, the King James Version says, study to show yourself approved. And that's a good piece of advice. It's a good piece of advice to anyone. A pastor must study and uh, studying influences that pastor's maturity. All pastors, all pastors should be growing in spiritual understanding, skill in preaching, and in confidence in leadership. And in order to do that, they must do a couple of things. They must have experience. They must go through those experiential things. But then they must study. They must be studious. And they should never stop studying. Because when they stop studying, when they stop studying people, when they stop studying the Bible, when they stop studying leadership, then what happens is they become stale. And if the church needs to go beyond them, the church can't. One way to avoid the pit of rapid rise is to study for success. The third thing is to seek counsel. Let me read you a couple of verses from Proverbs. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, over the years, I have had many people visit with me about major decisions in their lives. I'm old enough now that that there have been pastors, and there are pastors who <clears throat> say, I would like for you to, uh, to talk to me about this particular thing. Tell me <clears throat> what is your experience about this particular thing. And could I say something to you? I counsel more out of my failures than my successes. 
I've, I have actually learned more in my failures than in my <clears throat> successes. Some of the people who have counseled have come in to counsel. Others uh, don't come in for counsel. They just come in for confirmation of a decision that they've already made. A pastor must be someone who is mature enough to seek wise counsel before making a mistake that can be avoided. Forty-one years ago, Jan and I were considering the starting of a church in Nashville, Tennessee. I'll talk a little more about that on my last Sunday here. But we were considering the starting of a church in Nashville, Tennessee. You know what we did? We sought counsel. We talked to people. We talked to other pastors. We talked to people who had done it before. And when we arrived in Nashville, I went and sought out, I remember in particular, I sought out three seasoned pastors and talked to them. One was the pastor of one of the most successful Southern Baptist churches in town. His name was Bob Mowry, the pastor of the, the um, Park Avenue Baptist Church on, uh, in Nashville. And I sat down and talked with him and found him to be a wonderful, wonderful man and full of good advice and counsel. And then in addition to that, I sought out the founding pastor of a church in town called Beacon Baptist Church. His name is Stuart, Brother Stuart. Brother Stuart was an, uh, an ailing man, and I went to see him in the hospital, and he sat on the side of the hospital bed, and he gave me advice, and he laid his hands on me, and he prayed for me. And the other man uh, was a man who ended up being one of my best friends and still is to this day, Terry Samples. We went and we <clears throat> sought advice, and God gave us good success there, even though we were young when we started. We started that church on July the 4th, 1976. I was 26 years old. And regardless of age, you want a pastor who will seek wise <clears throat> counsel. Now, first, uh, the, the third thing in, in avoiding, or the, the, I guess the fourth thing in avoiding the pit of rapid rise is to follow a plan. Now, again, we're talking about the next pastor of the church. Follow a plan. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. When it comes to being a pastor, a trip to seminary or Bible school, Bible college, and sometimes sitting at the feet of a maturing pastor or a mature pastor is a good plan. That's a very good plan. It's not the only plan, but it's a good plan. Scripture doesn't require any of this. But there's something about disciplining oneself to go through a processed learning that matures the one who is called into the ministry. I'm going to tell you something that I think I've told you before. I I was not a good student when I was in school. It wasn't that a lack of ability or a lack of intellect. It was just, I just didn't try. I didn't like doing this stuff. I love the social aspect of school. In, in high school, and I had that down pat. I, <clears throat> if, if social skills were uh, the basis for uh, the honor roll, I would have been on the honor roll every time because my, my EQ uh, was out the roof, and my IQ was pretty good too, but my, my study habits were just terrible, <clears throat> just terrible. Then I had the bright idea of going to college 
And when I went to college, my first semester, actually it was a quarter of college, I lived next door uh, to Ronnie Williams, who's sitting over here right now. We lived next door to each other in, in the McCord Hall at uh, uh, Tennessee Technological University in Cookville, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech. And uh, it was there that my poor <clears throat> study skills got worse. Largely to the influence of Ron Williams, who lived next door <clears throat> to me. But so, that's the truth. <clears throat> so then I finished college, miraculously, I finished college. And um, then God called me to preach. I'll say more about that on the last Sunday, but God called me to preach. And when God called me to preach, I knew that it would be a horrible testimony to go to seminary and not try. So I went to seminary and I determined that I was going to develop leadership, but I was also going to learn to study. And I did learn to study. And then after all of the years of being a pastor, finally it clicked in. God had called me to a lifetime of studying. And so I have been studying for all of these years. I prepared my last sermon last Thursday. I've already got the baccalaureate service planned and prepared. <clears throat> Jan asked me, she said, what are you going to do on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Because I study all day on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I said, I don't know. And then it came to me, <clears throat> I'm going to continue to study. I'm going to continue to develop. I'm going to continue to study. The Bible teaches us <clears throat> that we should count the cost before making the commitment. And one way <clears throat> to do that is by pursuing an education, the education that is needed to be an effective pastor. So you want your pastor to avoid the pit of rapid rise, and there's some things that a pastor should do to avoid that pit. But what if that pastor does not avoid the pit? <clears throat> what if that pastor falls into the pit of rapid rise? Well, let me give you very quickly the dangers of the pit of rapid rise. Now, I'm going I'm to say something here. I, I have known many <clears throat> apparent successes people who rose to apparent success only to fall more quickly than they rose. Uh, <clears throat> one pastor I know has gone to several churches and that pastor preaches a hot message, a really hot message. <clears throat> and, and he gets the church all uh, juiced up. And, and here's, his, here's his method of operation. And it's okay, you're not going to call this pastor. But <clears throat> here's his method of, method of operation. Is that, that he gets the church all juiced up and he gets everybody in the church, everybody in the church, doubting whether or not they're truly saved. And when they <clears throat> get in a position of doubting whether they're truly saved, then, then just about the entire church gets saved again. And the entire church gets saved, or much of the church gets saved, including the deacons and the staff and, and all of that, which must have been an awful church before. But <clears throat> in fact, all of the churches that he's gone to must have been awful because this is what he's done at every single church. And then <clears throat> he goes through a, a period of time after that, after everybody in the church has gotten saved again, he can't get them saved again and again. 
So <clears throat> it, it stops, and then he goes in to his leadership. Now, I'm just telling you the truth. His leadership is horrible, just absolutely horrible. And, and <clears throat> what he has done to churches has devastated the churches, destroyed <clears throat> the churches where he has gone. Uh, in one church in Tennessee, in fact, I know two churches in Tennessee that were very similar to this church in that they, <clears throat> on their foundation, on their foundation, they had a church and upon that church was built a Christian school. Now, I know two churches like this and new pastors came in and, and somebody somehow convinced them that there ought to be a separation of the church, even though that the school was built on the foundation of the church. Somebody convinced them <clears throat> that there should be a separation of the church and the school, that there should somehow be a separation. And so those new pastors led in doing that. Now let me tell you what happened. The school failed and disappeared. The church failed and disappeared. Both of them, gone. That happened to one in Nashville. <clears throat> that happened to one in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Both gone. And the reason was because that <clears throat> the pastor came in and he fell into the pit of rapid rise and made some key mistakes. You have to be careful. There, there is a foundation upon which, uh, upon which a church is built. And, and once that foundation changes the ministry begins to crack. And, and I'm going to say this. One of the, and I don't mean for this to be political, but it is absolutely going to be political. One of the problems that we had during the past eight years is we had a president who wanted to change the foundation of the nation. He wanted to change what was foundational in America. And everything began to quake and crack. And then we, we've got this, this president now, and, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, he is, he is not a wonderful Christian. I don't know whether he's saved or not. But he does seem to understand the foundation of America. And, and one of the pits of rapid rise in any organization is when they leave their foundations. It doesn't matter what the organization is. You have to understand your foundation. And in both of these, in, in the case of this one pastor, and, and some of you know exactly who I'm talking about. Some of you worked in that ministry. They tried to change the foundation and it was gone. And that was on the back of somebody from the pit of rapid rise. And by the way, that, that guy is still a pastor. I don't, he must be the best interview in America because he is still a pastor and he is still doing the exact same thing. Let me tell you another one. Another one that I know has left a wake of financial misdeeds and deceptions. And he went to one of the best churches in the state of Florida and represented himself to have credentials that he did not have. And when it was revealed that he represented himself to have credentials that he did not have, well, that church just went into a just that's why a while ago when when I was was talking uh, 
with Jared Van Gundy, and, and he's going to Pensacola. I said, did you know that my doctor's degree from Pensacola? Did not know that. And I said, it's a DD. And he said, really? And then I said, didn't do it. I have never made any qualms about that. I have an honorary doctor's degree, and I don't feel super honored to have somebody call me doctor. In fact, I don't like people calling me doctor. I want to call doctors doctor. I, w- I want to call people who have earned it doctors. I used to have a lady in this church. She's passed away now. All, she... <laughs> She would call me Dr. Ray, Dr. Ray. And I'd say, please don't call me Dr. Ray. Just call me preacher. Just call me pastor. Call me Randy. Oh, and by the way, after May the 21st, you should just call me Randy, okay? You can still call me preacher if you want to, but don't call me Pastor Ray. You're going to have somebody new to be your pastor. So you can call me preacher. Jane Williams if you called me preacher, it would be a step up from what you normally call me. <clears throat> Your next pastor has a great opportunity. By the way, the guy that misrepresented his credentials, he's still a pastor too. Your, your next pastor has a great opportunity. Many would like to pastor a church that is debt-free, a church that has money in the bank, a church that has the facilities that we have and the opportunities that we have. When I announced about a year ago I received emails from several guys who had virtually no experience at all. And I'm sure that the search committee has received some of those kinds of of emails as well. No experience at all. Look again at the verse from our text. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. I've got to hurry up here, but I'm not going to give an invitation at the close of the message. I'm just going to let you uh, either soak this in or stew on it, one or the other. Look, we don't climb trees when they're saplings. They must mature before they can hold that kind of strain. And what are the dangers in the pit of rapid rise? Well, the first danger I've already mentioned, foolish mistakes. This is one area of concern for Timothy. Paul warned him about the importance of being an example and not making silly mistakes. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the uh, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith in purity now there are going to be mistakes some mistakes in ministry are learned uh, through doing and after you have for instance after you have a few bad meetings you learn to have a good meeting the, the longer you are a pastor the more you understand the pattern of a church and every church has a different pattern every church has a different way uh, Self-confidence and and God-confidence are two different things. Pride can come from self-confidence. Confidence is a God thing. Real confidence is a God thing. Psalm 20 and verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27, 3, though an army encamp against me, my, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. The pastor who is proud is in a pit. Humility is not a lack of confidence. Humility is not a poor self-image. Look, when when your next pastor comes, quite honestly, you're not looking for this. You, You don't want somebody to stand up and talk about how unworthy they are. We all know you're unworthy. I'm unworthy. 
I, I spoke to this, was it last week or the Sunday before? When I, last week when I spoke of amazing grace. None of us are worthy of anything apart from the amazing grace of God. But you want, you, you want your pastor not to fall into, into that, that pit of being, uh, being proud. You want your pastor uh, not to make foolish mistakes. Look at Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among uh, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Pastors must have this quality. It is not easy to live like this all the time. And I will tell you, there, there can be casualties. This is where families can suffer. The dad who is always there for the church may have a family that feels like he's not there enough. There are dangers in the pit of rapid rise, foolish mistakes and pride, and then falling and failing. Look again at the last part of verse 6. It says, uh, well, the whole, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he, look, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, the devil has a lot of ways to cause a pastor to fall and to fail. It has all boiled down to two things for me, two things. And somebody said this to me a long time ago. He, they, they said, preacher, you should know this. There are two things that will fail you in the ministry, give you a big score of F, females and finances. Those two things will cause you to fail in the ministry. Those have been issues for many pastors, but there's more than that that can trip up a pastor. Paul spoke regrettably of one of his fellow servants who was tripped by Satan in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. From our text, verse 6 tells us a lot about the pit of, and, and dangers of rapid rise. This does not mean that you should call a pastor who is older. If you needed an older pastor, I would stay. You don't need an older pastor, I don't think. If you did, I'm just coming into my own. That's not what you need. But by the same token, you don't need to fall for the pit of rapid rise. You, you probably need a younger pastor, but not a novice, not a flash-in-the-pan kind of guy. You find one who is spiritual, has spiritual ambition and humble confidence in God. These rapid rise guys have always been around and they're always identifiable. They're pretty easy to identify. Even Gamaliel. Gamaliel, an unsaved philosopher, a renowned Pharisee, could identify the rapid rise guys. Look what he said in, in Acts chapter 5 when some of the Jews wanted to uh, take the apostles and, and, uh, and, and do away with them. He said, but a Pharisee in the, in the council, um, a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor all, by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and nothing came to it. After that, Judas, uh, uh, Judas uh, 
the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fall. You, you, please don't allow yourself to fall into the pit of the rapid rise. I'm going to say it like this, and this is a thus saith Randy. You can take it or leave it, okay? But churches do not need to be pastored by racehorses, but by plow horses. Churches need to be pastored by those who have proven themselves, who have matured, who have good judgment, and will keep on plowing through. If a racehorse gets spooked, they will jump the fence and run out, and you almost never catch them again. But a plow horse that's worth anything will just look straight ahead and keep on going. One caution in fighting your pastor is to avoid the pit of rapid rise and look for one who has not been caught in the snare of careless living. And with this, I'm finished. 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. No pastor wants to be a stumbling block. And no church wants to have their pastor fall into a snare. Earlier this year, a pastor in Tallahassee was snared. That pastor was snared and the church bore the brunt of it and continues to bear the brunt of it. No one wants this. Pastors are people and people have certain temptations in common and, and it can be summed up in one verse in 1 Timothy 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And that's what leadership and all Christians should try to avoid. Those things that are of the flesh, those things that are of the pride of life and those things that are of the lust of the eyes. Let me close with this statement. Who is the pastor this church needs? North Florida Baptist Church needs a pastor, a leader, who is not for sale, who cannot be bought. Needs a leader whose word is his promise, who places character above wealth and anything else, who will not hesitate to take chances but will not endanger the church either, who will be honest in small things as well as in big things, who will not compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not driven by self, who will not follow the crowd, who will be true to friends and when times are good or times are not so good, still true to friends true in adversity or prosperity, who does not believe the, that shrewdness, cunning, and obstinance are the best qualities for success, who, are not ashamed, who is not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular, who can say no when the world says yes, and who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart glorifies God supremely and preaches the Word of God without apology. 
necktie and wardrobe does not qualify your next pastor or disqualify your next pastor. It's all about their integrity, their leadership, and their ability to continue on and lead this church with a fresh vision to where this church needs to go.